And so you should go from 30 to 50 to 70, probably mid-career, you're at, not even mid-career, I would say even still early on, you're at six figures. Hey guys, I am here today with Diane, who works in wealth management, investing, financial advising. We'll get into the specifics of that in just a moment. Uh, I have a bit of a background in finance myself, so I'm looking forward to getting a new perspective on the field. Diane, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's jump right in. Tell me your official job title, and then what does that mean in a nutshell? Well, I, my title is director of investments. Okay. And in a nutshell, I'm I'm the person that somebody comes to as a you know for a financial advisor position or financial planning. Okay. So we plan out income and wealth over the course of a lifetime and and beyond. Gotcha. So you work one on one with clients that are like real people, not institutions, and you basically help them manage their finances as far as retirements, maybe. What what other kinds of things besides retirement might you help them with? You know, we we help with all kinds of things directly related to clients and finance. I have clients call me and ask me about buying cars. That's not my official job, but when it comes to planning out retirement and again, you know, anything that might come up if if somebody's in an assisted living, we've got a plan for that, education for kids. Um, any type of life insurance. It, it really encompasses a lot. Okay. Gotcha. How long have you been doing that? I've been doing it now 23 years. So it's been quite a haul. What kind of certifications or education did you need in order to get the position that you have? Like what's the bare minimum that someone would need to get into the field? And then what other certifications might they look into getting? So this is a great question because when I started, the qualifications weren't as stringent as they are today. So if we're talking to somebody who really wants to get in today, I would say they would have to have some sort of business slash financial background. Okay. I think the person has to be excellent with numbers. And I think a lot of people don't think in numbers. Hmm. And that's a very important uh, part of being successful in this business. And uh, the qualifications matter as far as your ability to run your business. So if you have no idea how to do that, you're probably going to struggle pretty significantly. <laughs> yeah, numbers might be the bare minimum. Yes, and also <laughs> um, qualifications, obviously, we would have to be licensed, which is Series 7, 6, 63, um, life, um, life insurance, annuities, all of these types of things. You're, mm -hmm. you're not allowed to get a Series 7 license unless you are actually hired by a financial firm. Right. So if you are just starting out and you like, hey, you're a lone wolf and you want to start your own business, you actually need a different broker to hold your license and get your licensing through. Is that right? Well, you, yes, you have to have some firm that is willing to do that. Yes. And talk to me a little bit. I, I know you said, obviously, you've been in it for a while, but you've had to get all these different certifications. How long does it take to get a Series 7, a Series 63 or 66 life insurance? Like, is that is that a years long process? Is it a few months, a few weeks? What does that look like? I would say on average, it's going to take you at least three months to get that done, maybe six. The Series 7 is a really difficult test. I mean, it's I mean, they've compared it to CPA exams, um, legal tests, 
So it, it's just difficult because you have to do a lot of regulations. You have to memorize a lot of stuff. Yeah, I actually got a few years ago, I worked for a financial firm and I, I had to get my Series 7. And yeah, we were one of the lucky ones where they had a whole program where they walked us through and it took us about six weeks of just pure, may have even been eight weeks actually, where pure literally, study. yeah, that yeah. pure study, that was eight, literally eight hours a day. That's all we did. We did not do any other part of our job except for study to get licensed in order to do the role. So yeah, that's what we did as well. It was at least three months, I would say. Yeah. And I actually worked for the firm that I believe you worked for yeah. on their on their trading floor. So it was a totally different end of the business. But that's how I started in this is I I actually worked there and by trading floor, I mean the people who are buying and selling the investments to go within mutual funds and things like that. Yeah. So talk to me about entry-level roles today. I know that there's probably a spectrum of what you can do, but I would imagine that a lot of them are primarily phone roles. You're dealing with you know clients either calling in and you're, you represent a firm or you're making cold calls because you're trying to bring in business. Like what, what might an entry-level role into the financial advising world look like? And, and again, this has changed over time. Yeah. Everything that you're describing that maybe cold calling and things like that happened all the time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 15 years ago. But I will say today, to get in the business, you might have to start as an assistant to somebody in the brokerage business. Like something like you know, there's a lot of us aging out, and um, even though I've got a long way to go, still, I mean, you've got uh, 70 year olds out there that really are looking for somebody to you know, help take over the business, help with it. So that's the way to learn. Maybe coming in as an assistant of some sort and getting your licenses in that role. Yeah. Um, and then that's more consultative, right? You're calling clients for them. You're doing these things and you're learning hands-on mm -hmm. on what these clients need on a daily basis. Yeah. So as a financial advisor, I want to focus a little bit on what does a day in your life look like? That's actually the main focus of this show. So go as detailed as you want. I kind of want to know, walk us through a Monday so that I, I get a, a sense of, okay, here's what a financial advisor is doing with their time. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I Some of those things have changed too. I don't want to keep saying that. And, <laughs> that's and okay. If it's true, it's true. But uh, because of COVID, you see a, a lot different stuff. You know, you have firms that do not want you in the office and meeting with clients and do not want you meeting with them uh, as often. And so that this has changed some things. Of course, Zoom is helpful like we do often. But first things are obviously just watching how the markets are opening. How did, you know, other parts of the world do and what, you know, what are the big news stories? I have some very excellent go-to analysts. And these are people that over the years I have determined are the most trustworthy and the most accurate. Now, there's no such thing as a 100% accurate analyst, just like Right. You know, financial advisors gonna gonna have one investment there that that's the only one their clients remember, right? <laughs> right. But um, no, it's it's really important to get a feel for what the markets look like, and um, so I spend a good amount of time on that. If you spend too much time, then you're just really not doing your job because our job is talking to people, right? Right. right. We have to talk to a lot of people. It's the hardest thing about our job because think about it: if you have you know, 50 people to call uh, today or to this week or in, in the next couple of days, and you've got to get something done. I mean, you've got to be motivated. You've got to 
not let anything stop you. You've got to have time frame. You've got to be very, very focused on how much time do I have, but it's fun too. I mean, once you get going in, in these types of things, you just really create phenomenal relationships with people. You know, the average person doesn't come close to having the number of relationships we do. So we can really enact good changes in their life and make a big difference. Yeah. So you start your morning, you're checking in on the market, seeing what's going on. And then I would imagine next step would be if you're not in a primarily sales role, then you're going to be reaching out to clients or, or answering questions from clients. Or would you classify everything that you do as sales? Like, well, hey, I'm I'm always trying to drum up new business. That's the heart and soul. Like kind of talk to me a, bit, a little bit about that. Yeah. I'm a firm believer if you're not growing, you're dying. And I, and I truly, and, and we have clients that die. I mean, let's be honest, over the course of 20 some years, I've lost, I can't even tell you how many clients I've been to so many funerals, but I, the next part is probably reactive through emails and stuff like that. Cause you have clients sending you emails, I need $10,000. I'm going to go buy this or I need, you know, so you have a lot of making sure that income gets where it belongs. If something kicks, kicks back in the, in the email and says, there's not enough cash here to send this out, you've got to, you know, take action and, and things like that. So that's a, a big portion uh, at the beginning of a day. And then I think all jobs are sales jobs. So I'm a little bit different. You're, you know, you're saying sales. Well, I always sell myself if I'm trying to build business, if I'm trying to keep clients happy. Uh, you know, I, I don't do it in a sense where I'm dishonest. If things aren't going right, it's like, hey, this isn't working. We've got yeah. to make a, a change. Uh, so it's consultative sales, I, I call it, where I believe that in any job you have, if you're going to do it well, you're going to be selling your abilities, and you're going to continuously improve. I believe in that um, constant learning. There's just no chance that you can't stay on top of that stuff and be successful in my business. Yeah. So you're a little bit reactive, you know, clients are sending emails, they're wanting to move money around. You're trying to make sure that, you know, everything goes through and you're not tripping, a, you know, uh, improper regulation or, or having any weird tax consequences, anything like that. What else goes on in your, in your day-to-day that you're doing? How much time do you spend on like administrative stuff or uh, any anything else? My goal is no time on administrative stuff because <laughs> I have an assistant. I'm senior enough in the business to have a, a full-time assistant. And I brought five years ago, my son into the business with me. And so I have offloaded some of these very picky tasks mm-hmm. so that he might learn the business. So this is a good way to, you know, build it. And, and I suspect we'll be working together for maybe 10 to, I don't know how many, 10 to 15 years. He, uh, he does a lot of the trading, some of those picky things. Uh-huh. So there's an aspect of always having to communicate with him, like so-and-so called and what did they want? And, you know, what can we do? You know, a lot of going back and forth on what can we do to make this better? What can we, you know, looking at portfolios, running reports that show, you know, where everybody's return is, who do we need to beef up and how can we do that? You know, a lot of strategizing. How often are you, because you're in a more senior role now and you said you have an assistant and your son's involved. How often are you calling up clients and uh, is, is a lot of your day spent talking on the phone, um, mostly through email, or is it just kind of whatever they prefer? 
I don't do a lot through email. First okay. of all, emails and any written communication like that can be misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. And as we know each other, I mean, I would say one of my greatest skills is knowing my client clients. That's one of the first things you're required to do, right? Yeah, it is. And I would say that I am very good at that. And so, you know, if I'm talking on the phone or face to face, I prefer face to face because then you do see the body language and, you know, is this really what they're saying? Sometimes you, you know, you don't read people right. And so you really do have to pay attention. Um, and uh, so I am on the phone. I mean, I'm on the phone every day yeah. to clients. I'm, it may be 20, uh, you know, depending on how the long the conversations are. I may have a whole list of people I have to get through because I want to add, you know, some some stock to their portfolio. Like this has gone down. The analysts are saying bye, bye, bye. This looks good to me. It makes sense. And these people fit that bill. And I've got cash available. So I've run all the reports. I know who I'm calling. And boom, I'm calling and saying we need to buy this. And this is how much we need to buy. They say, okay, and we're done. You know, it's just that type of thing. What tools inform the information that you give out to your clients? Obviously, you said you rely on some different investment analysts and you run some reports. You don't have to like say the specific programs, but like what kinds of tools would a financial advisor want to be familiar with going into a role like this? Well, um, you know, we're, we're using all types of uh, office type programs and things like that. But we also have, you know, like the quote monitor. We have, mm -hmm. you know, where we can just plug in all these things. We have some technical tools to be able to see whether, let's say it's a stock. I'm, I'm only talking stocks right now. There's all other investments. But we have some technical tools where we can see if something's kind of bouncing off a bottom and it looks like it's it's moving, you know, up after this bounce. And so we can go in at the right time. We, we don't do that always perfect, obviously, but, um, and we certainly have tools that can tell us how much cash people have, who has cash, who has this investment. We might want to sell one and, and I need every person who has it and I need to move out of it and I need to move on to the next idea. And mutual funds and tax-free bonds are a little different because the firm you work for. So I'm not independent. Independent's a different category, mm -hmm. but mutual funds and things like that. We have a firm that has compliance and a screening process that I think is one of the best I've ever seen. So I, cause this is not the only firm I've worked for in this industry. I yeah. have changed firms because, well, quite frankly, I just don't think banks and investment firms have a business being tied together. And so that's, mm. that's a big issue for me. I think they have two opposite type goals. And I just don't think that works. And that's, you know, been going on since the late nineties. So yeah. Conflict of interest is a really big topic in that, in the field. I know at least for the, the brief time that I was in there, as I was kind of looking into the system, looking behind those layers, I noticed that a little bit too, where I'm like, it's kind of interesting that uh, some of these large, large banks are also the ones managing everybody's money. And there, there's some, you know, I could get it. That's a whole, that's a whole rabbit hole it's that we could go down. But, yeah. So, so that is a personal uh, preference to not be associated with that. So, yeah, no, I understand that. So you work for a smaller firm now, is that right? Or is it it's not a... real small? Oh, no, okay. it's not real small. It's an old, old firm, uh, very well established where, you know, extraordinarily well capitalized. I mean, that's just a, a very good firm. Yeah. I don't work for a, you know, a discount broker. I don't work for, you know, I work for a high net worth money manager. Diane, how consistent is the work? How hard is it to make this your primary source of income? Do people ever do this part-time or are they, if you're doing it, you're probably doing it full-time? 
I actually worked with a guy that did it part-time. He was a pilot. Oh, really? And I, I can't even believe the firm hired him because it really doesn't make sense. But um, no, I think it has to be full-time. I think you're going to start out starving. You might, I don't know, you might make 30000 a year, maybe not even that much. Some of these firms now have a base that they'll pay people. But mm-hmm. in our day, we just got paid whatever, you know, whatever the investments produced. I can remember one month I got a negative paycheck. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I was like, okay, this really isn't worth it to me, but okay, we'll go on. And it, it had to do with marketing and some other things, but still, you know, yeah, it's painful. <laughs> yeah. So first starting out, if you're not working for, you know, like in a call center at discount brokerage or somewhere else, if you're in a full-time financial advising, like sales role, you're, you're trying to drum up business and that's how you get paid. And if you don't bring it in kind of similar to, I would, I would think like a real estate agent or, you know, a CPA that doesn't have, that hasn't built up their book of business yet. Oh, it definitely is. And you know, the thing is some of the better brokers out there are ones who starved. Because if mm-hmm. you're hungry, if you're if you're wanting it so bad, if you're doing everything you can, I mean, you're going to be working, you know, 50, 60 hours and on weekends and, yep. you know, early mornings and things like that. Again, this has changed a little bit with COVID because people are home and you can get a hold of them and some other things. But I would say that some of the better brokers I know are ones that were hungry. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the income piece of this. You kind of mentioned, you know, Hey, you may, you may be starting out making 30, if that, you know, it, it really depends, but if you're working really hard for that much money, presumably it's because there's a high upside. Can you talk to what, what is entry level compensation potentially look like? What about mid career and then late career? What's possible? Yeah, I, I would entry level, you know, you should start, you, you'll start out at a very low number, like I said, and then mm-hmm. every year you should, you know, obviously see progress. Part of this is statistics, right? You talk to so many people, you ask the right questions, you have to ask three or four of the right questions, and they all have to be open ended, and you've got to gather information, you've got to put those contacts forward when they have money coming due or when they have money available. And so, you know, you try to fine tune this. And so you should go from 30 to 50 to 70, probably mid career, you're at not even mid career, I would say even still early on, you're at six figures. Yeah. And you should be moving and unless you don't have capacity, which is a big problem in our industry, you know, there's only so many people you can talk to. Yeah. So then you see these larger brokers bring in assistance and things like that. One assistant, two assistant, you know, however many they need or partners or or that. But I mean, you can make a million dollars here easily. I mean, you could, uh, it, I really don't see an end to it except for capacity. The upside really is uncapped. Once you start to be tapped out in terms of how much time you have, that's when you start bringing in assistance. That's when you start bringing in, you know, junior people mm-hmm. underneath you to bring in business. Right. But there are people out there that say, okay, I'm making enough money. I've got good clients. Uh, I'm getting word of mouth referrals. They're bringing their kids, their friends, their coworkers to me on a pretty ongoing basis. And, um, you know, they're, I wouldn't want, I don't want to say they're cruising because there's a lot of work to be done, but they're not, you know, marketing all the time. One of the best ways to market is obviously just be in front of people in, in some sort of organization and talking about things that matter to them, like retirement savings. Like right now the market, you can talk about anything in the market, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's I mean, even people that aren't in the market have an opinion. It's so funny. I, I have a job where I'm facing, you know, people all day long and everybody's got an opinion about something. And some of them are just wildly inaccurate. And you're like, 
yeah, it's, it's, there's so much going on. I, I always tell people, don't take advice from poor people. I mean, come yeah. on, if you're trying to do it well, make sure the person you're talking to has money. You don't want your financial advisor or director of investments or whatever you want to call them to be poor. That doesn't make sense. So. Yeah. So Diane, what questions should somebody who's just starting out be asking themselves or be looking to get answered by experts in the field? Like, I know obviously the industry has changed, but if you can go back in time and think like when I was first starting out, what questions did I have? What questions should they be asking to get more information? Well, and it's always going to be, how do I build this business? I mean, it's a difficult, difficult business to build. Nobody's going to write you a check for, you know, $500,000 if you're not trustworthy. So you've got to, I think one of the best pieces of advice and one of the things that I really took to heart is if you say you're going to do something, do it every morning, no matter what, don't say, I'm going to call you Tuesday and then call Thursday and say, Oh, you know, I, you know, you have to keep your word. Yes. Your word is everything in this business. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't. I mean, let's be honest. We know people everywhere that say they're going to be here or there and, and don't show up or, you know, um, I think that what I was asking, of course, was how do I build this business? Give me ideas, throw yeah. them at me. What can I do to be better at this? You know, it, again, it's a continuous Im- improvement. You must be learning all the time. There are things that even today, I'm like, what? That exists? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I mean, every kind of investment you can possibly imagine is available. People can, I always tell people, you can make money in a down market. It's very simple. You just do the opposite of what, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can make money in any market. You just got to find the, the right investments. So it's true. Since I got you on the line, do you have one or two quick tips on what, what's the best way to build business from starting out? You just have to be out there. I mean, no matter how you do it, you have to be out there. And if you have an opening to a conversation, you should take it. You have to be bold. Uh, so my job is telling people what to do. And that's really bossy, right? And yeah. for women, it's extraordinarily hard. That's why for the longest time, there was what, 1%, 2% women. Back when I started, there was not even close to 10%, Wow. which I think it might be a little over 10% now. I don't know. But it, there was just no women. And so you're fighting against a lot of guys. You're in a guy's world. That's okay. I mean, you learn a lot of stuff, but man, you have to be bold. It's hard for people who are not bold. That's a really good piece of advice. I like that. Is there anything that you wish that you knew about the job before you started out that you had to find out the hard way? Oh my goodness. I I just, uh, just the emotional swings. I mean, it's just, you know, if I, if I knew how much stress that as a financial advisor, you hold in, because think about it, you know, you might know four people that are dying of cancer and somebody else whose kid is stealing their money. I know 30, you know, I know the stress. And so what I, you know, every time something starts getting crazy, I just, I do a duck water off my back, water off my back. Like that thought is gone. I've got to move it out. I can't dwell on things. And so the ability to control your emotions is a huge issue and stress. I mean, it's a big deal. You see a lot of financial advisors drinking and doing things to try and do this. And you just have to be careful to not buy into all that. 
I was going to ask actually about stress. So let's, let's go there a little bit. How do you deal with the stress of the job? Cause the, the picture you just painted is that, yeah, the job can be pretty stressful because you're intricately involved, not only in the crazy fluctuations of the market, but in people's lives. And how do you deal with that stress? Yes. And think how emotional people are about money. Oh my yeah, goodness. Oh my goodness. You know, this is like the trigger point for so many, uh, how I used to deal with it is I used to, uh, I, so I had a goal and I had to contact a certain number of people. I knew that if I contacted that many people and asked for the right questions for each one, and then they had to be real contacts, not leaving a message. I had to literally call them yep. and, or see them face to face. And I kept track. I have all the sheets, even to this day, I have all their names written down. I have check marks across all the questions I asked. So if I said, I'm going to call this many people today, and I was done. Even if I didn't have really that great a success, I hopped in my car and I'm a Colorado girl originally. And so the country and nature and beauty, I'm very aesthetic. So I would just hop in my car and drive out a ways and just look at beauty, look at wildlife, flowers, trees. That was my thing. I like that. Yeah. And it sounds like you did a good job of you put in the work, you do the best that you can. And then to the best of your ability, you leave work at work at the end. You know, I've, I've accomplished what I need to for the day. And now I can, you know, healthily compartmentalize that. And I'm going to go do something that restores me. Well, I'm going to tell you that that takes a lot of time, even going, going out. I, I, I wouldn't say that I was early on a hundred percent successful at that yeah. because, you know, you're, you're outside at a ball game at a kid's ball game. And somebody's talking about their 401k. And I mean, you're there again, right? Yeah. You're, you're right there in work. So it comes up all the time. Um, but that was just at least a moment of just peace. Um, certainly, uh, myself, I'm a Christian. So I, I go to the word of God for mm-hmm. that type of thing. I have a lot of friends that I can cut up with and, you know, I could maybe call and chill out a little bit, but I haven't always done it right. I don't want anybody to think, I mean, all of us are a work in progress and we, we work very hard to try and keep this stress away from us. And it's difficult sometimes. Okay. So we've talked about like the stress and some of the difficulties of the job. Let's pivot a little bit. What is the best part of your job? Why have you stayed in for 23 years? I would say the people I have. I mean, if you really understand what you do for people, you start to really begin to notice the impact you have on their life. Yeah. And that is, I have a purpose, you know, I have a purpose and I have a purpose in people's lives that make a difference in their life that can change, you know, a retirement from staying at home and eating beans to traveling all over the world, you know, and that's true for me too. So, you know, I reward myself (laughs) on these things because, you know, why, why would I do a job if I didn't get paid for it and get paid well? And it's a hard job. It's stressful. I go on trips and I do things to reward myself. Also, you know, I do the same things that my wealthy clients do. Yeah. That's good. So let's hone in even more specifically. What's your favorite part of your day? Just the work day itself. What do you enjoy? Honestly, I really like talking to clients. The hard part is getting started right on everything, because you know that if you get started, you're going to be on that for, you're going to be totally focused on that for a long time. So I love talking to clients. I really do. I can't spend uh, just emotionally, physically, mentally enough time doing that, but it's a great thing. Now, some people who maybe are introverted will say they like looking at the portfolios and, you know, determining, I, I like that too. But if I were to pick my favorite thing, it would be just 
having those good relationships and making a difference. That's good. Diane, what challenges do you see coming in the industry as a whole that might affect the profession? Oh my goodness. It's just this outrageous thought process of more and more regulation. Hmm. It's destroying a lot of things and people don't realize you know, regulations are, and, and all of these things that go on at a, you know, maybe a governmental level or whatever level, maybe it's a, an organization, destroy people's ability to make a return. I mean, mm-hmm. all these things cost money and it is, they take it away from the consumer or the person who's wanting to invest. We've got to get out of this mindset that we can prevent every person from doing something wrong. And we've got to get into a mindset, you know, let's let's get back to really working on ethics. This is the right way to do this business. If you're not going to do it, get out and let's get them out. But as far as regulation, it's one of the biggest killers, I think. And and the idea that everything's do-it-yourself on investments. Now, you're seeing a change in that, and you do it every time the market turns. You see uh, people who are at maybe some firm where you just throw money in and they, you know, do a robo thing or something like that. Yep. You know, they are, all of a sudden, you're getting calls from all these places saying, I can't do this anymore. And I, and I do think that there's something to that, because, like, if you go to one of the big big firms that mm-hmm. say does mutual funds, you get a herd mentality on people and it actually brings your account down more than what you would have at, at maybe a firm that didn't have everybody and their brother and sister setting up a little account. Um, and that herd mentality hurts a lot of long-time, long-term investors. Interesting. Diane, do you have any uh, on-the-job either funny stories or horror stories? Give me, give me one or two crazy things that have happened over your 23 oh, years. I've got a couple. Yeah, one of them <laughs> is that um, we used to be at a firm where there are a lot of different branches all around, and you really only had a couple people in it. And uh-huh. we, were, we were at a, an office, and we watched this guy go by, and it didn't look right. So got up, locked the door, which, you know, when you're doing business, you don't really want a locked door. Right. And he came back with a gun and was going to try to rob us. And I don't know what he was going to rob us of because we only have checks. Nobody takes cash. (laughs) I mean, it was just ignorance on both sides. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That was just crazy. I mean, that was just nuts. I couldn't believe that that could, and it wasn't in an area that you could possibly expect that. So that was weird. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had a guy living behind the dumpster just in a, that was an odd thing. Um, the, the saddest story I have is that I had a client who was elderly and, and both her kids kind of were, you know, not really nice to her. And mm. I didn't know all the history of it. I, I think she got ill when they were younger. And so she was out of the house for a while. And, you know, there were just some things that happened early on. Well, she was getting to the point of dying and her son hated her. I mean, hated her. He wanted to try to steal every penny she had. And so uh, he sold her house out from under her. She was in assisted living at that time. Oh my gosh. And he fooled her into inviting me there so that he could hand me the check. And he wouldn't do it. He, he, I got there and he started accusing me of everything under the sun. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so I ended up, he got in my face and it was a dangerous situation. So I said, I'm leaving. And I Mm -hmm. ended up having to call adult protective services and God bless them. The next day they were there picking up the check. I mean, I was shocked, but it ended up 
through her life. He never had a relationship with her. And when they were talking about pulling, you know, some of the medical things that were keeping her alive, he said, go ahead, pull him. I don't care if she dies. And it was just the saddest thing I've ever seen. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. And, that, and there are a lot of fights like that when you do the estate settlement, yes. you don't think it'll happen, but it does happen. It does. Yeah. And you're, you're a part of that. You know, you have to represent your client and that means entering into a kind of a messy situation sometimes. And like what you said, elder abuse. I know when I worked briefly in finance, that was not one of the number one focuses that we focused on because it's, it is such a, uh, unfortunately common thing that we have to be aware of. You have to know, do these kids or do whatever family member or person that's in charge of this elderly person, do they, uh, do they have their best interests at heart? And it can get really sticky really fast. It, it does. And, and I've got a couple other incidences like that too, but nothing so dramatic. That was, that was really horrific. Yeah. Just estate planning is such an important thing. I'd like to get that plug in Yeah. that, you know, we help people get their ducks in a row. Um, mm -hmm. in, in the state of Texas, you don't have to have a will it's recommended, but you could write on a piece of paper and, you know, not have a witness, have a witness. I had a client who died suddenly of diabetes and he just had a written piece of paper and said, I give this all to my cousin, blah, blah, blah. And the judge came in and said, it's legal. Boom. And wow. I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. So I bet it was, um, just a couple more questions for you, Diane. Um, we're getting towards the end here. We talked a little bit about how at the beginning, you know, you're probably pounding the pavement or dialing phones. You're, you're really having to build business and it probably you're doing 50, 60 hour weeks if you're doing it right. What is the work-life balance now, now that you've established a little bit of business and you have, you're, you're a little bit more established in the career is, are you able to work 40 hour weeks? Are you able to work less than that? Or is it always more than that? We work less. Yeah, I definitely work less. And part of that is, you know, I have clients that are sleeping in. I don't call till 10, you know, yeah. I mean, and you know, after a certain amount of time, you know, they may be going out to dinner whatever, you know, so it's their convenience. Every once in a while, I'll get some email at two in the morning and my it's so convenient for us anymore to be able to pick up these things on any device we have so it's yep. like i'll wake up at two in the morning and go what in the world is that person doing call? you know um but i'm on call i will have to say that i i am available to my clients they can get a hold of me at any time and i will call them back in a timely manner because that's my job and yeah. so that's the trade-off that you give for a great service and for having them trust you is that you kind of have to be available yes and, and if i'm busy with something like maybe i am helping in the community and that is a way to give back and meet people and talk to them about you know what's going on i I'll put stuff to my assistant, my son all the time. And I'll be like, you call this person back because here's what they want. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a quarterback at this point. I'd, I'd like maybe them to pick up a little more sometimes because they're just unsure of themselves and it just takes time. But, you know, for instance, if somebody needs a distribution, they don't have cash, they can help figure out what needs to be done. You know, I, I just need them to have good thinking skills on and, and try to pick up some more of that, but that's, that's a work in progress. I mean, that yeah. happens over time. So personal question, do you feel fulfilled by the job? Is it worth it? A job is worth it. If you have some satisfaction, it doesn't have to be perfectly satisfying. I mean, there would be other things I'd enjoy doing as well. And if you get paid enough, I mean, pretty much put up with most things if you get paid enough. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and so, yes, I would say, you know, I'm a capitalist. Of course, I believe it's worth it because I yeah. make good money for what I do. And I'm very thankful for that and grateful for that. So yes. 
That's good. All right, Diane. So before I ask my final question, I just want to make sure on your end, do you feel like we missed anything? Is there something else that would be helpful for somebody to know that we didn't cover? I think it takes all personality types. So you're you're hearing that I'm, you know, I get out there, I ask yeah, the direct, bold. I'm pretty yeah. direct. I don't I don't lie, I hate lying. Yep. You know, I'm very but there's room for other types of personalities. I don't want people to think that you have to, you know, be like me or something like that. I think in different roles in groups, you know, I'm more contemplative. There's certainly people who are financial advisors who are very slow to speak and, you know, they, they are more analytical maybe. I, the other thing I would really like to say is you're not going to attract every type person. I mean, you need to kind of know your niche. Yeah. Like, do I get along with that personality type? Really? You know, maybe it's somebody who doesn't say what they mean and they've got, you know, different meanings and they don't express it well, or it could be anything. Yeah. Um, I think you have to know yourself a little bit and know who you get along with well, and then attract those people. Where do I find them? Where will I go to meet them and just get your niche? That's good. All right, Diane, last question. What's the best practical advice you would give to somebody who wants to do what you do? Let's say they finish listening to this podcast. They're like, yeah, I, I want to do this. What resources or next steps would you tell them to pursue? I would want them to go talk to a good financial advisor because yeah. a good financial advisor is always giving back and they will make the time. They'll find a way to get time and go ask some questions of them about what types, why are you attracted to this investment? You know, let's dig into some investments and say, what, what about this? What do you recommend for yeah. what type of person, you know, just get into the nitty gritty. Uh, you have to kind of love, I don't want to say love of money in a sense that it's sinful or something like that, but you do have to love money. You do have yeah. to want to build wealth. I mean, I ask people uh, even today, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? And if it's just, well, I want to put a few dollars here and da, 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 I try to expand that because where are you going to be in 10 years? What are you doing in 10 years? Tell me that and I can maybe help you. But I mean, my goal for everybody is to be a millionaire. So I mean, you have to make money a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's the planning part of financial planning. You're like, hey, we have to have a plan in order to execute the plan. <laughs> I want everybody to have a million dollars and I'm going to try to get you there. You yeah. have to cooperate. You have to listen. You have to <laughs> in the right direction. But yeah, but yeah talk, to a, talk to some experienced people. They will always yes. give back if they're worth their salt in it. Yeah. I would second that. And, and yeah, if you're not willing to reach out to a couple people like that, which they should be out there, if they're good, that may be a sign that maybe it's not, if it's hard for you to reach out to people, then maybe there are other roles in finance to pursue that are maybe more, you know, behind a desk analytical, but yeah, you do need to have that ability to reach out to people and just make genuine connections. You do, And I do think the way that the firm you worked for possibly, you know, with call center and getting, you know, a, a large volume and seeing if you can handle talking to a lot of people. Some people don't like people. Yeah. I mean, they just don't like them. And they might find that that's just not going to be satisfying to them. So Awesome. Diane, I feel like I learned a whole lot talking to you, even though I've been <laughs> a little bit in the industry. So thank you so much. I think this is going to be a great episode. Okay, great. You have a good day. You too. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. 
Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe, and I'll catch you next time. Thank you.